Hello and welcome to Between the Tees, the knowledge sharing program from Texas Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Aaron May. Our goal with this program is to have real conversations about financial topics that affect our everyday lives. The information we discuss on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and may not be applicable to your specific financial situation. So we always recommend that you speak with a licensed professional directly about your personal financial needs. As we go through the various topics on this program, I will be joined by different co-hosts and guests for an open discussion, like friends sitting and having a chat over coffee about money. We hope the experiences we share help give you a new perspective to consider as you get started on your own financial journey. In today's discussion, I am joined by my co-hosts Alyssa Weaver and TBT Wealth Management Director Craig Chaikin to discuss the basics of estate planning and the importance of having a will and ensuring that your wishes are fulfilled after you die. I know, I know you're probably thinking this is a topic for your grandparents or your parents, but not for you, right? Well, you'd be wrong there. As young adults, young professionals, young parents, there's a lot riding on our shoulders, especially our families who depend on us. So what happens to them if something happens to us? Do we really want the courts deciding what happens to our stuff? And what about young children, minor children, Who gets custody of them? Do you really want the courts deciding that too? Who's going to care for your family if you don't have a plan in place? So, if these topics have ever come across your mind, if you've wondered what you need to do to prepare for the inevitable, then this show is for you. And if you haven't given any thought to those topics yet, this show is for you as well. So let's dive into this discussion. So, Alyssa, have you ever thought about what happens after you die? Uh, are you talking about heaven or hell? Well, I do believe that religion and especially the topic of salvation is an important topic. But today I want to talk more specifically about what happens here and now. What happens in our lives when we die? What happens to our finances? What happens to our house if we have one? What happens to our car, our kids? You know, I'm a father of a three, uh, two-year-old, almost three-year-old. I know you have a son that's four. What happens to our kids if something were to happen to me and my wife or something were to happen to you and your husband? There's a lot of things that go into our lives that we don't think about, or we think that maybe one day in the future, it might be beneficial for us to know, but we should be paying attention to now. Um, for instance, there's a study from a report that came that CNBC reported on that only 33% of Americans have an estate plan. But I don't know if we think it's just that we're not going to die someday. We think we're 10 feet tall and bulletproof, or we think that maybe it's just something that our future selves need to worry about. We don't need to care about today, but it's actually a very important topic. And especially this past three years with a COVID uh, pandemic has helped a lot of younger people realize that we don't know when we're going to die. You know, we see reports on the news all the all the time of so, this celebrity or this sports athlete, this person had a cardiac arrest and died suddenly, or this happened, they're in a car accident. Celebrities die all the time. We see them reported on the news. We have family members who die unexpectedly all the time. What do we do if we don't have, an, have a plan in place? Do we think 
that we're just going to let the courts handle it? Uh, as someone who does not have a plan, I'm feeling overwhelmed <laughs> right now. So it's it's definitely an important topic. It's something that uh, me and my family, it's, it's something I need to be thinking about. And I, I mean, as you just said, it's something your family's thinking about too. Absolutely. So today we want to bring in... Craig Chaikin, he's our executive vice president with our wealth management division here at the bank. Craig's going to talk to us about the importance of what an estate plan is and um, why it's something that we need not just to plan for if we have a lot of money, but just in general. So, Craig, I want to welcome you to the program. How are you doing today? I'm well, Aaron. Glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Before we dive in, I do want to take a moment to say that the information we're about to discuss today is for informational and educational purposes only. It may not be applicable to your specific situation. So we always recommend that you find a licensed professional in your area that you can speak with directly about your situations. And also make note that the investment products that are offered by the TBT Wealth Management Division are not deposits or obligations of Texas Bank and Trust. They are not guaranteed by Texas Bank and Trust and are not insured by any federal government agency, and they may go down in value. So now that we got that straight, let's jump into our topic today. Craig, let's start by discussing what an estate plan really is. Some people view of it at some people view an estate plan as something only rich people have that helps them manage millions of dollars of investments. But that's not the case, is it? No, sir. I think that's a preconception. And I want to start our conversation off with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And that quote goes something like this. Uh, Failure to plan is planning to fail. So an estate plan is just that. It's an opportunity for you to plan for your future so that you don't have that failure um, that you have to address after the fact. So um, an estate plan, as you referenced earlier in the conversation, was is not a singular document. A lot of people think it's just a will, and that's all I need is a will. Uh, that's, but that's not true. An estate plan is not only your will, which tells everybody who gets your stuff, because everybody has stuff, but it's also your directive to physicians about how you want your health care administered. It's about your HIPAA authorization. Who can your health care providers uh, disclose information to? It's about a power of attorney. Oftentimes we think about um, ourselves or our spouses deceasing, but we don't think about what happens if I'm in a catastrophic event and I'm uh, in a coma or I'm otherwise incapacitated. I'm still with us, I'm still alive, but I can no longer make decisions for myself. So that's where a power of attorney would come in. A lot of times people don't think about that side of it. We think of only death and what happens then. But as you say, there's a lot that goes into it about what happens if we're in incapacitated. That's correct. So that's why when we think about estate planning, it's, it's more holistic than just a will. And which is why not just older, wealthy people need a will, because everybody who has stuff, everybody who has a life needs an estate plan. Uh, You referenced children earlier. I have two children myself. And prior to them attaining the age of 18, what happened if something happened to my wife and I? Within the confines of your will or your estate plan, you can designate who can be the guardian of your children. 
Because if you don't designate those things, then the courts who do not know you, your situation, uh, don't know anything about your family, they'll make those decisions. And I know that's different state by state, right? It is. I mean, estate planning in general is different state by state. Um, however, um, the concept in and of itself is is universal. But the laws and how those things are handled um, are, in fact, state specific. So if you live in Texas, as we do, and you move to Ohio, uh, you'll need to modify your state plan because Ohio law can be different from Texas law. So, Craig, uh, you mentioned a few uh, basic things to think about when estate planning. Can you give us um, an idea of specifics that people should start with when they want to begin the estate planning process? I always recommend, Alyssa, that they seek professional help. And I mean by seeking an attorney, and specifically one that specializes in estate planning. Um, because that process, as I mentioned, is holistic. It, there's more that goes into it than a singular document. A, an estate planner, an attorney can help you. And in fact, most of those folks have a suite of documents already kind of pre-prepared that they can walk you through and let you know these are the four or five documents you'll need and this is the reason for all of them. So I would start there with an attorney um, that can help you walk through that process. But Again, when you start to think about the estate planning process, and I think one of the biggest roadblocks to that is mortality. Nobody wants to think about being passing away or being incapacitated. Uh, in fact, uh, my own personal experience, my wife uh, didn't want to talk about this situation. She didn't want to get an estate plan. She didn't want to do a will. Uh, but the first time that we got on a plane without our children, and left them behind, I think it resonated with her that what happens to us. So you, there's usually a trigger that um, connects with each individual, whether it's the loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, uh, the birth of a child, uh, some other life-altering event that causes someone to think about, I need to get this done. Uh, so, uh, But circling back to what you need to plan for or what you need to look for, was that the question? Um, I think it's it's a little introspective of where, where am I in this stage in my life? Because uh, as you go through life, uh, those stages of life, things change. As you move forward, you tend to amass more things. Uh, and it's with the, uh, as you amass more stuff as an individual or as you expand your, your f uh, familial circle, those things tend to be triggers about thinking about who I need to provide for. You know, if I'm gone tomorrow, how can I provide for those people that I leave behind? And the state plan will help to provide for those people. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's uh, important to consider, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but more than just money, a will and your estate plan helps assign your wishes. Because that's, a, I mean, a lot of times we don't think of um, assets we think of assets primarily in just money. We think, well, if I got a lot of money in the bank account, I want to make sure that it goes to my children or it goes to my spouse or it goes to my favorite charity organization. So we think that the money is what's important. But, you know, I've, I've personally experienced this in my life where families will fight over the most ridiculous things like a baseball card collection or salt shakers or grandma's teacup collection. 
like those type of things that people don't think about um, as assets or they don't think about as, you know, valuable enough to, to worry about, those can cause family fights. They can. And again, that's why I refer to that just generally as stuff. Yeah. Uh, because everybody has stuff and it means different things to different people. So to your point, family heirlooms, they might be more endearing to some family members than others. But if that information isn't specified, maybe it gets thrown away or maybe the wrong person inherits it and it doesn't mean as much to the person that inherits it as it does to someone else in the family. Absolutely. So that's where the planning part comes in. Because to your point, it's not all stocks, bonds, and cash in the bank. There's, there's also real property. What about the family farm? What about the family homestead? Um, what about mineral rights? We're in Texas. That's a big thing. Yeah. So there are other things um, than just the cash in the bank that are important when you're thinking about estate planning. There's uh, also dealing with um, with children, as we said. Like, unfortunately, my parents both passed away. So if something were to happen to my wife and I, you know, we only have one set of grandparents in the family. But there's a lot of families that there's two sets of grandparents, or there's aunts and uncles. So if something happens to the parents and you don't have a plan for who gets custody. What what happens there? What is the well? And to your point, you know, sometimes grandparents aren't always the best people to um, ask to be a guardian for your children. What if they're elderly? Yeah, and you have young children. While you while you you have fond memories of your grandparents when they were when you were young. They may not be up to the challenge of taking care of your three-year-old or your four-year-old, and it wouldn't be for for the child either. So you need to think about alternatives, uh, whether those are friends, whether those are cousins, siblings. So um, yeah, that takes some thought, and then to approach those people and ask them. You know, that's a big deal. We had um, personally, we had some neighbors that we were very close with. Are we were raising our children together? They did not have family members they felt comfortable to be guardian of their children. And they asked us if we would serve in that capacity in their estate plan. And we said, yes. So um, yes, uh, the care of family members is very important. Uh, and it could, it's not even minor children, but what if you have a special needs mm, child absolutely. or a special needs family member that um, needs care? Who's going to take care of them? Uh, there's also the planning for those funds. If they're on any kind of public assistance, and they inherit money directly, that might disqualify them from the current wow. public assistance that they're on unintentionally, just out of the kindness of your heart, your charitable intention, and now you've done something that's been a setback. That, I didn't even think about that. Right. Because that's, that's important. If our kids have special needs and they're getting subsidies from the government... It's, it's just like with uh, retirement. I know people who are retired that they can't work beyond a certain number of hours or else they lose their social security benefits. And so it's that's that's a major thing people, parents, especially young parents, need to think about. Right. And the other thing is, from an estate planning standpoint, is minor children can inherit, cannot inherit assets. So a guardianship management or other type of trust would have to be created to hold the assets for those children and then a trustee appointed to you know, kind of shepherd those assets until they were of age. Wow. So there's a lot of planning that takes place with minor children or with uh, children with special needs or family members with special needs that need to be considered. And again, that all circles back to an estate plan, not just a will, 
But an estate plan is if you are if you need to take care of those folks, if you want to take care of those folks, how do I do that? Because if you pass away and you have none of those plans in place, then either their benefits could be jeopardized, there, there's no uh, apparent guardianship, uh, that's got to go to court, it's got to be litigated through that system, and it takes time, it takes money. So uh, one of the other things that people object to is, oh, I don't want to spend money on a state plan. I don't want to pay a lawyer to do this. Again, Failure to plan is planning to fail. And uh, you will spend more money on the back end sorting out the mess than you will on the front end getting it right the first time. And the other thing about estate plans, they're, they're living documents. They grow as you grow. So my estate plan with my five-year-old looks different now than my estate plan with my 22-year-old. Wow. So you can change these things. They're not set in stone. Absolutely. So as your life changes, as you go through those seasons, so does your estate plan. What... I know you've been working in the trust and investments world for a long time. What is that? What prompted you to start an estate plan with your family when your kids were young? Or did you work in this world for a long time and not even think about it? Uh, I, I would think if you if you run the statistics, you'll find that fewer people have estate plans than should. Yeah. And it's, I was in that category for a long time, and it was the typical, um, the cobbler's children have no shoes. So you take care of everybody else before you take care of yourself. Yeah. And you think, oh, I've got this knowledge, I'll be all right. Well, if I'm gone, who's going to take care of my wife or my kids? So for me, the trigger was having children yeah. and providing for those children. Because I think I, I'm in that same spot right now with my wife and my daughter is if something were to happen to me, my wife... She's very brilliant with money. I'm glad that she is. And I think we're, uh, I'm thankful for that. But you know, what happens if, if something were to happen to both of us and our daughter needs someone to care for her, how do we know, how do we make sure that, you know, the lessons that we've learned get passed down to her, that her, that she's taken care of. That's absolutely important. Absolutely. And, and so again, and again, and then not only that, but what if something happens to you and it's a catastrophic illness and again, and, and you're, you're incapacitated, but you're still with us, then a power of attorney needs to step in and handle your finances, handle your health care, make sure you're taken care of until you can either recover or the decision is made to take a different path. Uh, but those types of documents also play into your state plan. So as a husband and wife, my, my wife and I have power of attorney for each other okay. in, the, in the event that there's uh, something and there, uh, something happens to us. And there are two types of those. There's um, one that have springing powers, which means that they will be activated at a certain event. And there's others that are durable, which means they're in force from the day they're signed and they can be used at any time. Interesting. So uh, the other thing uh, that I might mention is that if you, if you do have an estate plan, uh, you want to keep it handy. Uh, I know a lot of people want to put that in their safe deposit box, which is great for the originals, but uh, accidents happen on weekends and you can't get into your <laughs> safe deposit on the weekend. So I would say that put uh, those um, 
original documents in a safe spot, but always have copies that are readily accessible. In fact, you may even want to leave them with a family member that you trust so that you have that information available. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be a state secret. Uh, and it's very, it is private and confidential, but especially power of attorney forms and healthcare forms, you want to have those readily accessible. Um, for example, when our kids went off to college, once they turn 18, technically no hospital has to deal with us. Yeah. So if they were in a car accident and uh, out of state, and uh, they were uh, admitted, the hospital wouldn't necessarily have to give us any information. So we had uh, powers of attorney drawn up for our children uh, when they went off to college uh, so that if there was a problem, then we could still be informed. Wow. Absolutely. And that's that would also be that HIPAA documentation. That is HIPAA. About. And again, this is all part of your estate plan. So let's break down. I know Alyssa was asking about the elements that go into an estate plan. Let's break down some of those documents specifically. So first, we're going to have like a will. The will is probably the cornerstone. And again, yeah. that's that's what will plan for your inevitable demise and and how your assets and the stuff that you have are distributed amongst those people that you care about. And then next would be? Next would be power of attorney. Okay. Uh, then that would provide for you in your incapacity while you're still living, that document terminates at your death. Okay. So the power of attorney takes over while you're alive. That could be, that could be activated. And then it immediately terminates upon your death. And that's when your will takes over. Definitely. So there's the transition. And then there's the, um, the medical power of attorney. So there's, again, there's a financial power of attorney and a medical. So you they can be two different people. You can have one person looking after your finances and one person looking after yourself as the physical person. Okay. And then there's um, uh, a, a HIPAA form, which will indicate to people, hey, you can share this information with an individual or multiple individuals. Uh, usually that's a spousal situation. You want to share that information with your spouse. Or if you're not married with someone that's close to you, kind of an emergency contact situation. And then uh, there are also what they call living wills, mm-hmm. which would indicate if you were hospitalized and incapacitated and unable to speak for yourself, it will tell the uh, provider, the medical provider, I do want extreme care. I do want to be kept alive on a, on a ventilator or I do want to be fed through a tube, those types of things, or don't. Uh, if I'm incapable of surviving on my own, then uh, it's kind of what they used to call a DNR, do not resuscitate. I, I just let me go. Uh, so, um, because, you know, the clinician, the doctor, they will do everything in their power to keep you alive. Yeah. That is their job. So if you don't want that to happen, if you've decided, if I can't have a certain level of, um, uh, not quality lifestyle, it's not life, the word, quality or, of life, that's yeah. the time. If I can't have a certain quality of life, then this is what I want to happen to me. Yeah. So those documents can be drawn and filed. Um, either uh, at the time that you're hospitalized or you can even, they can even keep them on in their permanent file for you. And it will be your instruction while you're of sound mind and body to your healthcare professionals that this is the uh, care plan that I want for myself. Absolutely. Very interesting information, Craig. Thanks so much. We do need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll discuss what happens if your heirs are still minors. How does a trust protect your assets until your heirs are of age to inherit? Let's stay tuned. Hi, this is Eric, and this is your 60-second 411. 
2020 served as a wake-up call for many faced with a financial crisis due to lost jobs and business closures in response to the current pandemic. But the past doesn't have to dictate your future. Setting up an emergency fund can save you from a lot of headache during a short-term crisis. Saving three to six months worth of expenses into a separate savings account to be used for actual emergencies is recommended. Using a written budget can help you identify all of your monthly expenses and help you prioritize a savings goal. Saving a small amount of money each pay period can build discipline and help you build your emergency fund over time. Learn how to create a written budget and set priorities by clicking on the links below. We hope this video helps you take control of your financial world. Be sure to check out our other videos and more insight on basic money management. Until next time, this has been your 60 second 411. Looking for a digital tool to manage your budget? Texas Bank & Trust's online financial management tool, MyOFM, can let you see all of your financial accounts in one secure location, as well as set budget limits and expense trackers to help you stay focused on your goals. MyOFM can be located inside TBT mobile banking platforms on a PC and mobile device. Learn more at www.texasbankandtrust.com. Welcome back. So now that we're back, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens to our stuff, to our uh, estate, if our heirs are still minors when we pass away. Uh, Alyssa, I know you just recently bought a house and it was uh, purchased from an estate where right. they have minor children. Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Right. Um, it's so interesting and honestly eye-opening. Um, so uh, sadly, the house that we purchased uh, actually had no living owner. Um, there were only minor children involved. Um, of course, I think you mentioned that they can't inherit a house necessarily. Um, so what happened is all of the assets were sold and the money was put into a trust for the children for when they came of age. Um, it was a sad situation to sort of be involved in, but I was glad to know that the money was going toward the children in that situation. And, and you know, to your point, um, each state, and so we touched upon this with different laws, and again, I want to, Aaron made a disclaimer earlier on, I'm not an attorney. I'm not providing legal advice. Uh, I'm just um, letting folks know what my experiences have been over the last 30 years in this field. Absolutely. But having said that, um, each state is different of what the laws of intestacy provide. And the laws of intestacy cover people who don't have wills. So um, in each state, it's different. And so sometimes if you pass away um, and you are married and you have children, your spouse may not inherit everything. Your spouse may only inherit half of what you have and your children may inherit, split up the other half mm. where some, it may be a preconception where if I die without a will, my wife gets everything. Well, not if you have children together, you don't. Or what if it's a second marriage and you have children from a prior marriage? Wow. And, and this is something we didn't touch on, but estate planning, in my opinion, is crucial, especially when you have blended families or you're on second marriage or third marriage or whatever that might be for you. Yeah. Because you have assets 
from a prior life, uh, a prior relationship. You have children, perhaps, from that. And not maybe those two families aren't compatible. Yeah. And maybe you want to provide for them differently. So there's a lot that goes into, especially a blended family situation, where good estate planning and planning in advance will help to alleviate a lot of problems um, after incapacity or death. Absolutely. And that infighting that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, while, where there's a matriarch and a patriarch that are around and that can control the situation, when those when that person or those people are no longer with us, then things get uh, a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Potentially. I know uh, for me, one of the situations that uh, helped me really understand the importance of having in a state plan, whether it's, even if it's not a will, but just a place where all of your central documents are stored was when my mom passed away um, several years ago, the only way that I knew she had a life insurance policy was because she told me one day and no one else and the family knew about it. She didn't talk about it. She didn't talk about her finances with everybody, but she would she had shared this with me when she was diagnosed with cancer. And so I knew that she had a life insurance policy. I knew um, that she had some some bills. She had some expenses that were she was trying to figure out how to handle. And because my passion is financial literacy, I actually sat down with her uh, in the hospital while she was. Uh, you know, getting her treatments as best they could give her. I was trying to go through her finances and get things in order for her. And had I not done that, no one would have known how to handle anything after her death because she didn't have a list of documents. She didn't have a a central location where her life insurance policy documents were housed. She didn't have a list of uh, her bank accounts, a list of all of the um, bills that she had to pay. Like, I had to help my brother get the electric bill switched over to his name. We didn't know anything about this except for my mom had sat down with me and I went through and I knew the name of her electric company. So I was able to call the electric company and, you know, get things switched over to her name, the rent for my, the house that they were living in, all of these situations that we don't think about. We just, I, I know where, where all of my money goes. I know where I pay my bills to, but does my wife does, you know, again, that's, that's that function of planning yeah. and, you know, it may not be very PC, but uh, I've used this term because a client shared it with me. They have the death drawer yeah. in their mm-hmm. house. Yeah. And so basically there's a spot in their house where they have copies of all of their, of their estate planning documents, but they also have uh, copies of, uh, financial account statements, um, contacts. And if you didn't want to do the financial account statement thing for, for confidentiality, maybe make a list. Here's the name of my banker. Here's the name of my financial advisor. Here's their contact information. Here's the name of somebody that can help you with this. So at least even have a list of contacts that, that the people can reach out to that can then help them after the passing, uh, is, is very beneficial. Um, also, what uh, on the will side of things, estate planning and, and can be very private. People like to keep it very private and because they make decisions that they know may be unpopular sometimes. So my recommendation is if, to people is if you think that you're going to make an unpopular decision in your family, 
that's fine if you don't want to discuss it with people in advance. That is entirely up to you. Yeah. However, my recommendation is write a letter. Write a letter and put it with your will, explaining this is why I did with it, why I did. Yeah. You know, because as as the corporate fiduciary, as the the um, as executor, as the trustee that come in, we often get asked why. Why did they do this? Why did they put this money in trust? Why is this, the estate doing it this way? We don't understand. You know, mom and dad would have never done this. Well, they did. And so now we have to explain to them why we think this happened, you know, based on what the documents say. But a simple letter saying, hey, guys, mom and I made this decision. We hope you'll honor it. We, we went into this with our eyes open. This is what we thought was best for the family. And we, we want you to know that. You know, sometimes that it may not, you know, they may not like it, but at least in, in I think a lot of cases will have help people to understand why decisions were made the way they were, even if those conversations don't want to or need to be had during life. At least there's a statement um, saying this is why we did what we did. It personalizes it. Personalizes it, uh, as opposed to the will, which is can be a little bit of a sterile legalese document. I mean, that's what it was designed to do. But if if you can, some people will record statements in this day in this digital day and age, uh, video statements or audio statements. Uh, but to me, a simple handwritten or hand typed and signed note uh, from mom and or dad that says, you know, I did this. This is what I want. And, you know, I hope you understand. Um, I think that can go a long way. Yeah. I think it speaks to loving your family well. I know there's one thing you told me in a previous conversation. It's like, if you don't love your family, don't leave a will. Or, and, yeah, and, and don't get rid of any of your stuff. You know, I, I tease my children. I said, you know, if you don't take care of your mom and I, we're never going to clean out another thing for the rest of our lives. <laughs> uh, and, you know, one of the hardest things you can do as an, executive, as an executor is step into someone's life and have to clean it up. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the big, one of the biggest gifts you can give to someone is to plan well so that they have as little as possible to do, even if that's uh, pre-planning your own funeral writing your own obituary. I know it sounds a little morbid, but again, I, te- I kid my children about that too. I said, well, I, if I write my own obit, at least I know what it'll say. Yeah. I don't have to worry about what you guys are going to say about me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a, in that time of grief, uh, whether it's because you've been diagnosed with cancer and maybe you're, in, you're incapacitated and your family's trying to work through that process, or maybe you've passed away, there's grief. There's that emotional time when you have to do certain things. And if you're just winging it because there's no plan, that makes it twice as hard. I think that is one of the most important aspects of this whole conversation is the aspect of realizing that your family is suffering. They're suffering emotionally because especially if they, if you had a strong relationship with your kids. My daughter, she is a daddy's girl to the core, like painfully. So it's amazing how much this little kid loves me. And if something were to happen to me, she'd be an emotional wreck. My wife would be an emotional wreck. Do I need to add financial stress to this or would it be better for me to have a drawer with all of our documents? So my wife knows how to handle our bills. Would it be 
good for me to have a plan in place to where the financial side of it is gone and they can worry about the grief without worrying about the money. And, you know, the, and the financial estate planning is, is very different than um, financial planning. Yeah. And so they, they do complement one another. But, you know, talking about how you can provide for your family after you're gone, that's that would be a great another conversation. Yeah, that'd for be folks. a great conversation. To talk uh, about but as far time. as the documents go, again, having a plan and having a plan that others can follow that will execute your wishes as you want them. That's very important. And again, it doesn't matter whether you have a hundred million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. A plan needs to be put in place. Otherwise, um, other people will be making those decisions for you and they'll be doing it at a time where most people are upset about what just happened. Yeah. I know I have some friends right now. They're still going through the court process with some family members uh, who passed away. And there are some inheritance that that's still going through uh, either family issues or court battles. Uh, tell us a little about that process. The I know it's uh, called probate, What, how the court handles your stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so probate is a process um, that occurs after someone dies to dispose of their assets. And if you have a will, that will go into probate and it becomes public record. And everybody, someone can go down to the courthouse and see a copy of your will and who gets all your stuff. Uh, that's one reason some people don't like to go through the probate process because they want to keep it private. So you can you could have a trust as a will substitute that is private, that doesn't have to be probated, but that will be a subject for another conversation. Okay. Um, but in the probate process, that's the legal process that disposes of your assets at, after your death. Interesting. If you don't have a will, then again, that's a, that's what that's called intestacy. And then there are certain, uh, each state has its own set of rules on how that's to be followed. And the, the judge in the court will help to make those decisions based on the law. And it also depends on who the heirs at law are. Uh, are there other are siblings? Are there other parents? Are there aunts and uncles, cousins? Um, are they on the same page? Do, uh, do they all agree? Do they disagree? Do they have to enter into a family settlement agreement because the family can't agree? You know, and that's, you know, that's where the legal bills really start to kick up because mm-hmm. everybody's got to have a lawyer and everybody, everybody's lawyer is getting paid. And so had somebody done a will to begin with, maybe we wouldn't have to do that. Uh, at the beginning of the conversation, you talked about celebrities yeah. dying and not having wills. Well, when you think about Prince comes to mind, you know, he, he passed away. He didn't have a will and he had an enormous amount of music. I mean, his musical catalog alone. Uh, not to mention the royalties from his songs, his property, his studio, and uh, he didn't have any children. Uh, so I think, um, I don't know if one sister inherited a multiple, but again, can you imagine if there was infighting on that? Right. Um, uh, Tom Petty's another one. Um, his, his, I don't know if, uh, if he had an estate or not, but I know that his, his, current, his wife at the time he passed and his children from a prior marriage they didn't get along. They yeah. had some issues. Uh, Robin Williams had the same situation. There, there are multiple cases of celebrities, and they're just in the news because of they're so well known and they've amassed a, a certain amount of wealth. But they have the same problems, just on a larger scale, that we would have 
if we passed away. Because yeah. again, unfortunately, when someone passes away and there's stuff to be had, that kind of changes the the climate. Yeah. Uh, and and siblings who may have gotten along at one point may not get along tomorrow. Because grandma promised me that uh, that <laughs> watch. Right. Or and something. why should yeah. you get $51 if I only got 50? Right. So um, it doesn't matter necessarily how much. It just becomes whatever the perceived fairness issue is. And again, not saying, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of families out there that are very amical and get along and it's whatever you want. But we've seen enough of the other to know that it can be incredibly difficult and incredibly expensive if there's no estate plan and it's a free-for-all for folks who just want to dive in. Absolutely. So let's uh, just brief, briefly talk about what the wealth management di- division of the bank, what you guys, uh, the services you provide for people, especially in related to the uh, retirement or the uh um, estate planning side of things. I know you guys offer trusts and different services like that. So explain to me a little bit about what you guys uh, do for for your clients. So wealth management is a pretty broad term and it encompasses uh, quite a quite a few services. So uh, on the topic of estate planning, um, as uh, Texas Bank and Trust is is a bank and therefore is what's known as a corporate trustee. So as a corporate trustee, we can serve as executor of someone's estate. So people name us in their will as executor. And why would you do that? Why would you name a bank? Well, I'm naming a bank because A, I don't have anybody else that uh, can serve or that I would want to serve. Um, or I don't want to have to choose one of my children over the other. Mm. And I want to keep it completely neutral. Yeah. Um, and another thing about a corporate trustee is a corporate trustee doesn't die. They don't get sick. They're there forever and always in whatever form that might be. Whereas if I name, uh, say I name somebody that's a peer, someone's my age. Well, if I've passed away or I've gotten sick, the odds are that they're not doing so great either. Right. You know, and so that person didn't get the opportunity to serve or, uh, their life circumstances may not allow them to serve. An executor, although it's a temp job, is a pretty intense job to do. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot to, to be said. So a corporate trustee can take care of all that. They handle the attorneys. They handle the CPAs. They handle the finances behind the scene. They can marshal the assets. They can sell property. There's so many things that we can do that we do all the time. So yeah. to me, if you don't want a corporate trustee to serve as your primary, put them in as a backup. Maybe you make your spouse your, your executor, and if your spouse doesn't want to or can't serve, then a bank can step in and they can take care of that for you. So that's the executor service. Trustee, same way. Maybe a trust is created under your will mm-hmm. at, your, at your passing for that special needs child, or you have a family member that you want to leave money to, but you know can't handle it. They're just not equipped to do that. Um, having a corporate trustee like a bank step in. They will follow the terms of the document dispassionately. That is their job. They want to make sure that your uh, your intentions are, are borne out, but they can also invest that money for you. They have that investment uh, acumen. They've got that expertise and that will um, provide that service for that individual who may not be able to handle that money well. Um, and again, or special needs. If, if uh, the, the money's put into a special needs trust, uh, the trustee can make sure that uh, the benefits that they need to take, that they need to preserve are preserved. And then 
any supplemental needs are taken care of out of that trust. So there are many reasons that a trust, um, a corporate trustee can uh, be appointed to handle those types of things. And, and we as a bank trust department can do that. Um, general investing, we can do that. Uh, a lot of people think financial advisors or what they used to call brokers, um, you know, that those are the folks that would handle your money. Well, in a wealth management department, we can do that too. We have portfolio managers on staff that uh, help people manage their money just like a financial advisor would. Interesting. Um, we also uh, have financial planners on staff and we have financial planning software. So if we have clients that are getting close to retirement or in retirement or just want to know, hey, where am I in the state of my finances today? Yeah. Uh, they can come to us and we can help them create a financial plan that will give them some peace of mind that, hey, I'm in a good place or, well, no, I need to save a little bit more. So we provide those services. Um, we're in the state of Texas. And so oil and gas is a, is a big thing here with us, as you know. Uh, we have an entire group that will um, help to process, manage, uh, lease oil and gas minerals, uh, mineral interest, excuse me. Um, so we have a group that does that. We have a real estate group that does nothing but manage the real estate that may come into the department, whether that's beneficiary owned or occupied within a trust, whether it comes in through an estate, whether it's investment properties that some of our clients have in their investment accounts, um, raw land, uh, we've got commercial property, we've got storage units, we've got all kinds of real estate within the wealth management field. So we've got folks that do nothing but manage that. Interesting. And then as something that's specific to uh, Texas Bank and Trust that some other wealth managers don't have is a retirement plan services department. And what our folks there do is they manage corporate retirement plans for folks. So uh, you may have a small business that has a, a retirement plan or that needs a retirement plan, and we can help them do that. All of the education, all of the accounting, all of the investing, um, anything to do with that plan, we can handle. And one thing I didn't mention was IRAs. Um, as a lot of us that have worked for many years the easiest place to save money is in a 401k plan or in an IRA. So um, as the generations change, gen, I'm in Gen X and down through all the other generations, Gen Z, Gen Y, I think what you're going to find is a lot of folks have amassed, even, even um, in the baby boomer generation, have amassed a lot of wealth in retirement plan accounts. And we can manage those retirement plan accounts. If you leave one employer, uh, you roll out of that employer, you can put it into an IRA, which we can help you manage. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you've got multiple IRAs rolling around out there that you haven't consolidated. You might want to consider consolidating all of those with one provider that can help you manage that money so you don't have all of these little bits of money rolling around that you're paying fees to all these different people that you didn't know you were paying. Mm. So... Um, there's, I, I think that uh, the quali what they call qualified money or uh, IRA or 401k money, that's going to probably be one of the larger sources of wealth for future generations. And we can help people to manage that as well. That's one of those things that a lot of, I know we're talking about estate planning, but financial planning kind of hinges off of that. People, you know, in their 40s, 30s, 20s, they think that financial planning is something you do when you're older. But it's really not. It's something that we need to be thinking about now or we need to be thinking about 10 years ago. It, it's, it's, 
there have been many articles of how little people are saving for their own future. Yeah. And the government's taken uh, notice of this. And in fact, they just passed uh, what's called the Secure 2.0 plan. Secure is an acronym, and I'm, I don't can't remember it right now. But um, what you're going to see is more forced savings for people. Mm. And so you're going to see... Uh, companies that may not have had retirement plans in the past are going to start them um, and that you'll have to opt out of your plan instead of opting in. Today, we live in an opt-in society. Okay. Hmm. But for retirement planning, it's going to, it's in the process of migrating to an opt-out society. So when you start a new job and they have a retirement plan, they're automatically going to start taking out of your earnings and, and putting it into a 401k for you. And you'll have to tell them, don't do that. And the idea is we want to help you to save. And the only way to help you is to make you. Right. And uh, now some of the generations that come after us, and like I said, I'm Gen X, so some of the younger generations, they value saving a little bit more. They don't want to put it in their pocket. They want to save it for a future time. So that's great. So they'll be on board with that. Yeah. But um, Social Security isn't enough to provide for you. And if you haven't been able to amass private savings outside of that, um, an IRA or a 401k plan is the, is the best way to save funds for your future. So start early, start often. Every time you get a, a, a raise, put a little, if you get a 3% raise, put 1% back yeah. and then put 2% in your pocket yeah. uh, and keep saving. Because uh, the earlier you start to save, the better off. Compounding interest is, is your friend. And um, so people will always tell you, I didn't start early enough. Yeah. It's never too late. And no matter if you're 45 years old, you haven't started, start now. Yeah. But if you're 25 and you're just starting your first job, start now. You'll be, yeah. you'll be shocked on how much money you'll be able to save over the course of your career. It's one of those things I always like, I wish I could go back and talk to my 18 year old self. You know, I can't. But I can. Well, your 18-year-old self wouldn't believe you anyway. Right. But I could talk to an audience right now that might be in their early 20s. You know, this is something that you need to be paying attention to. You know, we need to be thinking about this a lot younger than we think we do. It is. And then again, that that all plays back to the estate plan. You know, why should someone who's 30 years old care about a power of attorney? Why should they care about a will? Why should they care about HIPAA or any of the other stuff? Because it all rolls together. Yeah. And it's all about planning. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, being bulletproof or invincible. We are not, yeah. even though we may feel that way. And so the best gift that we can give to others is is to plan. And it, and um, it's, it's one of those underrated things that uh, we'll do it tomorrow. Well, as you said, we'll let our future selves handle that. Mm-hmm. Well, the future is now. So the sooner the better. So true. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Eric, and this is your 60-second 411. Spoiler alert, Christmas is coming again in December. Now that you know, you can start planning for those big gift purchases now by saving a small amount each month in a designated savings account. Looking back over last year's Christmas spending can help you identify how much you spent on gifts, parties, and other holiday events. Divide that amount by the number of months left before Christmas, and then set a goal to put this amount of money into a separate savings account each month until you are ready to begin shopping. Using a written budget can help you stay on track while ensuring your regular expenses are covered as well. Learn more about a written budget in the link below. You can use this same method to plan for other big purchases such as home or auto repair, medical deductibles, vacations, and many more. 
We hope this video helps you take control of your financial world. Be sure to check out our other videos for more insight on basic money management. Until next time, this has been your 60 Second 411. Did you know that you can set savings goals with TBT's MyOFM feature? Log into your Texas Bank and Trust mobile app or online banking account and click on the MyOFM option. Select the Goals tab and plan your next big expense. The tracker will keep track of your designated account and let you know when you can expect to complete your goal. Learn more at www.texasbankandtrust.com. Welcome back to the program. And just as a reminder, the information we're discussing today is for information and educational purposes only. Everybody's financial situation is unique and different. So we highly encourage you to speak with a trusted advisor or a financial professional in your area to go over your personal situation. But this knowledge can help you guide that discussion when you do sit down with a uh, financial professional to determine what your needs are for your family. All right, Craig, you mentioned a lot of great services that the bank offers. So should someone just Google um, where to start a retirement plan or uh, uh, where to invest? You could do that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you could also start a little bit closer to home. Uh, if you already have a relationship with a financial professional or a financial organization, you might want to start with them first and see what they can help you with. For example, with Texas Bank and Trust, of course, we have our wealth management division. Uh, a lot of other uh, financial services companies out there or big banks have these same types of services. They're not just indicative to us. But what I like to think differentiates Texas Bank and Trust from those other large banks, and I've worked for large banks in the past, and then I've also worked for Community Bank now for the majority of my career, is at Texas Bank and Trust, we have Wall Street products, but we've got Main Street service. And working with a community bank, I think, affords you a greater level of care, a greater level of service. They're the people that you see in the grocery stores. You see them at the t-ball games. Um, they're people in church with you. And I think they have a greater understanding potentially of who you are and what your needs might be because they see you out in the community. Not to say that the, that the big banks of the world can't do that. They have some, they have professionals on staff as well, but to be able to stay in the community that you live in and work in and work with the professionals at that organization, I think that's a value add, which is why I'm so proud of what we do in the Wealth Management Division for Texas Bank and Trust. So for the communities that we serve and in East Texas and the Metroplex, we can do all that for folks and we can provide those same services and it's a one-stop shop. They can come in, they can do their banking, um, and use all the products and services we have on the bank side and then come to wealth management and we can help them plan. We can help them do their estate planning. We can help them with their financial planning. We can help them with their saving, whatever they need. I think one of the benefits of uh, working with the community bank, as you're saying, is just the personal connection that you can have with the community. I know uh, I've personally had situations where I've had to contact a national bank for a car loan, or I've had to deal with 
large organizations for car insurance and things like that. And you get into this phone tree where you're just a random account number and you never speak to the same person twice because you just get sent to whatever representative is available. And that representative has to go read the notes from the last person and then figure out the situation. There's no way that you can keep going back to them and getting the same person to actually handle the situation. But with a local bank, you have you develop a relationship with the lender, you develop a relationship with a uh, teller that you see every every Monday when you bring in your uh, you know, deposits from your small business or whatever, and you have a phone number that you can call and an actual person who lives in your community can answer. For me, that's a big deal. I would agree with you. And, and, you know, when you call the wealth management department, you're going to get an individual. Yeah. And the clients that I've worked with, um, for a long time have my cell phone number. Yeah. So, and they'll, they'll call me if they have a concern and I want them to, uh, it, this is a relationship business. Yeah. And that's how we treat it. And I know our, our goal is not just to speak only to Texas bank and trust customers, but this information we're putting out here is if you're not in Texas, if you're in Idaho or you're in Washington, this information is valuable to you as well. And so if someone's wanting to find out if they are, if they would benefit from financial services from a wealth management department, what type of questions should they ask when they're looking uh, to speak with a wealth management advisor? Well, I know that the, the first question in everybody's mind is fees. Yeah. How much are you going to charge me? Yeah. And while that's important, I don't think that fee should be the only conversation, nor do I think it should be the only decider. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people out there that charge fees differently. They're commission products. We don't take commission. We charge a flat management fee. Mm-hmm. And in fact, our fee is tiered. So the more assets you have with us, the less fee we charge you. There's, uh, I won't mention them, but they're on commercials now. And they say that uh, their tagline is, we do better when our clients do better because we're a fiduciary. Well, they act like they invented that model. Right. They did not invent that model. <laughs> that model has been around for decades. And that's the model that for the last 40 years, Texas Bank and Trust has adopted, as has most individual uh, community bank uh, wealth management or trust departments. That's the model they, that they use and will continue to use. Um, because it best suits their their course of business. So to your point, whether you're in Washington State, Vermont, uh, it doesn't matter east, west, north, south. This is a relationship business. Yeah. So you want to do business with people that you can build a relationship with, that you're not going to have a 1-800 trust officer, in my opinion, or if they keep changing your relationship person on you, you may want to take a step back and say, how can I build a relationship if I'm going to have a new person every five minutes? Exactly. Uh, and I want somebody that's going to know me and that's going to know my kids. I've got clients that were on the second and sometimes the third generation. And that's why it's relationship-based and not transactional-based. Some people like transactional-based. Yeah. They don't care who they talk to as long as it gets done. And that's fine too. And if that's for you, there are plenty of providers out there. Just make sure you're getting... Uh, value for service. Well, transaction base is great when everything's going good, but the moment mm. something breaks, right? That's right. And who am I going to talk to? Yeah. Can I get a body on the phone that knows me? Yeah. And um, what happened to Sally? I talked to her last time, and she spent <laughs> thirty minutes going through my account. Why am I now talking to Bill? You know, what's Bill? Bill doesn't know me. You know. 
And that, and, and the older you get, the more important that tends to be, yeah. uh, with folks. And, um, that's why, again, I, and I'm, sounds like I'm beating this dead horse, but it's about the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned a term, um, that might be new to some people, fiduciary. Let's explain that a little bit and how that's different than just a wealth manager. So a fiduciary is someone who has to keep your best interests ahead of their own. So the, the most basic way I describe that is say I've got a fistful of $100 bills and it's my money. I can go to the top of the roof, uh, the three-story building we're in. I could throw all that money off the roof and there'd be no consequences. But Aaron, if you give me a fistful of $100 bills, that's your money that you gave me to safeguard for you and manage. If I went to the top of the building and threw that off, that's, I can't do that. Right. Um, or if I want to invest in something that I think is risky or speculative, I can do that. But with your money, I can't do that without your express permission. Um, I, and so I need to make sure that whatever I'm doing for you is the highest, best use of your money. And I'm using the highest standard of care while I'm doing it. Absolutely. And not all money managers, not all wealth providers are fiduciaries. And so when you're interviewing someone, ask them, are you a fiduciary? Are you bound by the fiduciary standard? If they are, then you're likely going to be in good hands. But if they're not bound by that, um, some financial advisors are simply bound by what's called the suitability standard, which means that if it's suitable for the account, i.e. if you can afford it, then I can go ahead and I can sell you that product. Um, but again, with Texas Bank and Trust, we don't sell products. We are a fiduciary. And so we have a duty of uh, to make sure that we're uh, protecting your interests at all times. That's awesome. To go back to estate planning, um, are you able to give people advice in that regard or um, do you just follow what they want? So again, as we mentioned, as I mentioned before, we're not attorneys. We don't have attorneys on staff. I'm not an attorney, so I can't give legal advice. Right. What I can do is give experiential advice based on what I have seen and what other clients may have done in the past. So we can take that knowledge and experience and share that with our clients and say, um, if you're thinking about doing this, you may want to do that, or this is what we've seen, or what were you thinking? And based on those thoughts, well, you may want to consider this instead of that. So a lot of that, again, is just using our experience to provide advice so that we can turn them back to their estate planner, to their lawyer, and they can go back and they can go ahead and draft up an estate plan. Uh, and we tell people we're happy to review them just to make sure that uh, we don't have any other questions, especially if we're named and we're going to uh, be administering that document later. You know, we like to see them in advance. Not required, but it's a, it's a good thing. We've got clients that say, why can't I just go on the Internet and I'll pull off a will on the, on the Internet? You can do that. You can even write a hand, you can have a handwritten will. It's called a holographic will that is technically legal, but you may not cover all the bases you meant to cover. There may be loopholes, there may be gaps, unintentional, mm -hmm. that you didn't think about at the time. If it, I mean, um, so that's why I always refer people back to an attorney because it's not because, you know, we're trying to, there's no, 
relationship there other than we know they're going to do a good job for you. And um, something you print offline may not be specific to your state. It may not be specific to your circumstance. So I think sometimes in our desire to save money, we may not create an effective estate plan because we didn't anticipate things in that process. Yeah. So that's why I always refer, well, happy to have the conversation in advance, happy to have the conversation after the fact or at any time and share our experience. But at the end of the day, a qualified estate planning attorney uh, is who we refer people to to make sure that their estate plan is done right. I think, as we said, it's important to make sure we note that, you know, it's important to speak with someone specifically about your situation because my situation is different than Alyssa's. And both of our situations are different from the people listening to our podcast. Everybody needs to examine their own situation individually. That's correct. I mean, each situation is like the person that creates it. Very, very, uh, very uh, special, if you will. But uh, we can, uh, based on other people's experience, provide uh, some insight to say why this might work better than something else. Absolutely. So, you know, and those consultations are free. There's no charge in most places. There isn't with Texas Bank and Trust, and I'm assuming with a lot of places. You can go in and have a conversation about um, this is what I'm thinking. You know, am I on the right path? And before they go sit down with the attorney, so it saves them some a little some little time. Yeah. Uh, and they they're kind of a little more focused about what they think they might want to do. So we're happy to have those conversations with people uh, in advance to kind of uh, again, like I said, focus them and maybe give them some other things to think about before they go into that meeting with the attorney to to perhaps short circuit not short circuit the process, but to save a little time and therefore maybe a few billable hours in the back end. So if someone is within one of our Texas Bank and Trust markets and they're interested in sitting down with a trust officer, how would they go about getting in contact with you guys? They can reach out to our uh, any one of our three wealth management departments. Uh, we've got them in the DFW area. It's at our Frisco location in Tyler. We're at the Tyler Grande location. And in Longview, we are in the Pine Tree Lobby location. Uh, feel free to call and make an appointment. Uh, and any one of our wealth and trust officers uh, we'll be happy to speak with you uh, and um, share whatever information we can. Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed this discussion today with Craig Chicken, Director of Wealth Management for Texas Bank and Trust. This was a valuable topic for us as young adults to consider, especially thinking of all of the things that weigh on us regarding our future, our families, and what happens to us and our assets if uh, we're no longer around. Once again, as a reminder, the topics we discussed today were for informational and educational purposes only. Make sure that you speak with a licensed professional in your area about your specific financial situation. Also, the products and services offered by the Wealth Management Division of Texas Bank and Trust are not a deposit or obligation of Texas Bank and Trust, not guaranteed by Texas Bank and Trust, not insured by any federal government agency, and may go down in value. Be sure to join us next time as we begin a series on budgeting with our first episode, The Blueprint of an Effective Budget. And until next time, remember that knowledge is power when it's shared between the T's. Thanks for joining us.